Welcome into another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. I'm Woody Womack, joined by Rob Cassidy from Miami. Rob, how's it going? Uh, you know, to be honest, I'm pretty checked out. Uh, <laughs> leaving for the showcase of the Immortals tomorrow morning, so I'm really having a hard time caring about anything else. But we'll try to uh, we'll try to we'll try to stick through this podcast. Boy, going on vacation must be nice, huh? It's a real must be nice situation in New Orleans. You know, between that and my new desire to join slash start a cult, it's uh, it's been a busy week. And uh, joining us from Austin, Texas, Nick Kruger. Nick, how's it going? Well, my voice is a little substandard today because, uh, you know, they said they said I would get allergies when I moved to Texas. I didn't believe them. I've never been allergic before, but I've really just been breathing in nothing but pollen and dust for the past, like, and I don't know what feels like a month now. And it's starting to take its toll on my chest cavity. Every, everything, including allergies, is bigger down there, they say. That's yeah. a good point. <laughs> well, not to mention, have you have you grown any horns yet? Because there's something else they say about people uh, from Texas. And last time I saw you, you didn't see any horns on you, Nick. So um, anyway, I'm sick too, by the way. You can't tell. Uh, I do not feel well. And maybe it's maybe it's allergies. Uh, maybe I'm just weak uh, in my old age. So anyway, we're trying to do this quickly because Rob has a, a deadline to get off the podcast. So let's jump right into it. We want to remind everyone, leave us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, find us on Twitter, etc. So once again, oh boy, Herm Edwards giving us something to talk about. If, uh, by the way, I, I want to talk more about Herm as a uh, uh, from my perspective when we get a little later, because I was surprised when I talked to some kids out West, what they thought of Herm. But I really wanted to talk to you guys, of course, about this. I, I sent it to you both. Herm Edwards came out and said that he would be uh, making some cuts, I believe was the term he used uh, in terms of uh, taking guys off scholarships and everything like that. I, I don't think that's really possible. I'm not really sure how it's going to work, but uh, he said the, you know, the headline from uh, – ArizonaCentral.com, which is part of the USA Today Network, says Herm Edwards sends harsh message: ASU may cut scholarship players. Um, so he, well, he's, what I what I saw in the story that you sent said that they wouldn't lose their scholarship as far as being a student's concerned; they just wouldn't be on the team anymore. Well, I guess it would be making guys medically retire, encouraging guys to transfer, things that we know people do uh, at several schools, but things that you don't really discussed. So, I mean, what are they going to do? They're just going to not have, they're going to replace guys with scholarship. They're going to keep giving them their scholarship. It's going to count against the 85 and then they're going to uh, just replace them with walk-ons. I mean, it, it really uh, sounded to me like that was something that Herm said in the heat of the moment at practice. And then somebody caught wind of it and then they questioned him about it after. And then he was like, I got to roll with it now. I said it. So, this is what we're, we're we're doing now. That's that's how it, how it struck me as I briskly he, read the story. He's not doing anything other people don't do. He's just being real about it, I guess. I mean, don't use the word cuts. Maybe that was probably a bad choice, Herm, uh, to say the word cuts about unpaid college college players. Uh, that was very stupid. Um, is using that term, but this happens at every school. I mean, like you said, encourage transfers, medically retire. Take him off the team, but let him have their scholarship. And that's why guys transfer other schools is to find playing time or to find a place where they can fit in. Uh, he just – I think his crime was not understanding the terminology and, you know, once again, not being very self-aware of the position he holds or how college football works. Um, but I don't think what he said he was going to do is, you know, all that unheard of. It's just it's just poor wording. Well, here's where I think you run into trouble if you're Herm. 
Now, here's one of the quotes that's in the story uh, that aforementioned. I told some guys who continue to stay in the training room, you've got no tape. I can't grade you if you're not on tape. All of a sudden, guys got well. It's amazing. So he's basically going – so he's telling injured players that if you don't come practice, you're going to get cut. I mean, that's where I think you we run into problems, and we've seen it with some of these schools getting rid of guys who are, you know, mistreating players or there's complaints at, at various programs around the country. We saw the uh, Randy Sanders at, uh, I believe it was East Tennessee State, uh, former FSU assistant and Tennessee assistant. He got placed on leave for some type of violation of rules, and that was the rumor that it was a mistreatment of players. So do we think he's kind of uh, being risking maybe having that on the record, especially if someone were to come forward and complain in the future? Maybe I, you know, it would serve Herm to say less in almost every situation. <laughs> um, like I said, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. It, you're right; it could. This could be used against him down the road should something like that happen. Um, but he's just, you know, he's just gonna say less. I, he gets himself in trouble. Not even in trouble. He makes himself look silly. Okay, maybe he doesn't even make himself look silly. We, being you know the, the media, we kind of have a target on her. Let's be honest that, you know, anything he says that can even be remotely construed as senile or dumb is going to be twisted that way. Uh, so he's going to be cognizant of that, I think, and just kind of maybe step easily behind the podium and behind the microphone. Well, and what was it I found was interesting was last week, the story about Herm was he's encouraging his coaches not to yell at players. teach him with a whisper not a not a scream so we have that story uh, which is like okay hey that's new school football coaching and then we go to this week and it's now we're cutting guys (laughs) get out of here you know to be like you know sorry you didn't make varsity i mean uh and and you know the quarterback of the team manny wilkins his quote it ain't might he's going to cut some people (laughs) when you when you get to the league your locker your locker one day is going to be cleaned out. It's harsh and brutal reality of football. We've only got five practices left. I bet you'll see a difference in some guys uh, now in their attitude and how they're acting. I mean, uh, <laughs> this we is my favorite. My I, want favorite. Make, I want to make commitment issues shirts that say commitment issues on the front. On the back, it says it ain't might. It ain't might. Well, here's here's the here's my favorite quote. We want to keep everybody. We want everybody to have an opportunity. But if you ain't understanding and working how he wants you to work, sayonara. <laughs> sayonara, suckers. You're out of here, sun devils. Um, I don't know. I, I think I understand what, what he was saying. Um, and I, I don't think – he's going to do anything different than, you know, Nick Saban does. We've seen in the past people who medically retired at one school pop up at another school. It happens all the time uh, with guys maybe basically being told, look, you're, you're out of here. We're medically retiring. You can't play anymore. So he's just, but just by coming out and addressing it. And I definitely think it's a, it's a say less situation. Do we think this could have any impact in recruiting? I mean, I, I think, can we see guys using this against him, you know, saying, hey, you might go there and get cut or do, do you think it's just a, a non-factor? I mean, I don't see it really working if somebody's going to use it against them. I mean, all these kids think they're so good, nobody would ever dare cut them. I mean, they spend time getting graphics with them holding the Heisman like we talk about every week. I don't think that anybody that Arizona State's recruiting is going to think, well, you know, maybe I'm not good enough to play there. And Edwards <laughs> cut me. I, I don't know. I, I just don't see that being a big factor. 
Yeah, I, I could I could see it. And what I wanted to talk about a little bit was when I was in at California, and I think uh, Nick was uh, Nick was there with me in Northern California. Rob, you were there in Southern California. A lot of these guys we talked to that had dealt with Herm seemed to really like him. And that was something that we weren't sure how it was going to translate. But it seems like when he gets face-to-face to, with kids, his pitch is working. I mean, did you guys find that based on the kids we were we talked to out there? The, guy, the guys that I had talked to personally didn't um... – didn't say that they had didn't say that they had dealt with them so much per se. I mean, they were they were talking more along the lines of they expected him to do well as a coach because of his you know previous NFL experience. But but I would say that that kind of is much different than what Rob said. What the perception is of Herm, especially so far, is that he's in over his head. This is going to be a disaster. But that doesn't seem to be what the recruits are thinking. Well, I think Herm going back a, to what. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think going back to what you were saying about whether or not this is going to hurt him uh, in terms of teams negatively recruiting against him, even though, you know, it's been determined, I guess, that that it's not anything different than any other college program does. It's just he, if if he's what he's doing is it almost seems like he's kind of putting together sort of like a media collage of things that, you know, it's not any one thing, but but other, you know, if other coaches were to negatively accrue against Arizona State and say, well, you know, why why would you want to go there? I mean, this guy's, this, you know, it just it just does it just kind of seems like the totality of everything kind of makes him seem he's a little, you know, disconnected from the rest of the college football culture. You know, Herm is a likable guy, so you know, even if he is kind of stumbling in the media because he's not used to the college football world and the recruiting, when you get Herm Edwards in a room with a prospect or anybody else, he's likable. I've spent some a short amount of time talking to him at the Under Armour game when we see him. I remember him coming into the media workroom once and being like, this is where the media is. You guys got me fired, <laughs> which, you know, I thought was pretty funny. He said it with a smile on his face. He's he's a likable guy. He's engaging. Uh, he's definitely not somebody that you have to force conversation with. And, you know, these are all things that serve people well as recruiters. I don't think Herm Edwards is going to be a bad recruiter. I never thought kids would hate him uh, because he is easy to talk to and easy to get along with. It's does he understand what he's doing? Once he, you know, gets these players. All right. Well, moving on, we got a fun offseason controversy here, which I believe Rob put on the rundown. Nick Saban versus LeBron James uh, in a war of the words in the media here over the past, uh, boy, I don't know how long has it been, about a week here. Uh, evidently, you know, LeBron has uh, his media company uninterrupted, which uh, has a, a show called The Shop, which evidently is people – in a barbershop talking about stuff, which, you know, big shout to LeBron for doing that. I just wonder who who's watching these shows. But anyway, uh, Alabama evidently has one of their own called Shop Talk, where it's in a barbershop and it's uh, made by the football program. So uh, LeBron and his uh, company sent a letter telling him, look, you guys are infringing, kind of a cease and desist situation. And Nick Saban came out and basically said, you know, sorry, LeBron. Uh, he said, there's been at least 20 barbershop type things I've seen on TV. I didn't know anybody owned that. I didn't even know he had one. I'm sorry anybody could be offended by something we were all just having fun with. I enjoyed it and we're going to continue to do it. Well, it's amazing that Nick Saban knows there's 20 barbershop shows on TV, considering every football coach I've ever talked to tells me they never watch TV a minute in their life because all they're doing is breaking down game film. So if Saban's got time to surf around looking for uh, for barbershop television shows on cable access, then, man, he's a better coach than I thought. He's still out there winning national championships, and he's a, he's a connoisseur of barbershop talk shows. 
Well, so I guess it was it was it last night. Let me see when. Yeah, posted thirteen hours ago. LeBron fired back uh, last night on Tuesday night. That's exactly what I. That's exactly what I would think he would say. But I built uninterrupted for a reason for us athletes to have a platform and speak your mind about whatever we want to talk about. I respect him as a coach, but I'll be damned if I'll allow somebody to use our platform to try to do the same thing we're doing and just think it's okay. The lawyers will figure it out. Shots fired from LeBron. Well, I love LeBron James. You know that. He's like probably my favorite basketball player of all time. I think the world of him. He's great. He's wrong here. Um, you can't just oh, wow. you can't you can't just you can't own a trademark on people talking in a barbershop. There have been movies that you know, barbershop, the movie, uh, beauty shop, the movie. That this is not something this is like trying to patent the circle. Like this is a thing that happens everywhere. You can't just Decide, hey, you know, I invented conversations in barbershops. It's now well, it's make not it hold up. I think they did rip off the idea. Sure, they did. Yeah, one hundred percent, they <laughs> okay. did. Okay, okay. Somebody saw it. And was like, hey, why don't we do that? Because uh, we know, as me being uh, the rivals dot com idea man, I've been known to to uh, do that myself. So it happens. I do think they're going to run into some trouble with the naming. I think I would not be surprised if that. Uh, Alabama backs down and LeBron wins this one in the goat versus goat battle. They, uh, they just changed the name. No, they're not going to get rid of the barbershop show because of this. Right, but the name is a problem. I think the name is a problem. Nick, you're a producer, a director, uh, on camera talent. You think they changed the name or you think, uh, who do you think wins in the Saban versus LeBron tete a tete? Man, I, I don't know. LeBron is really getting. <laughs> He's he's really I mean going back going back to some of his press conferences this season uh, he's really in uh hold on a second DGAF mode I think with the with the things that he says and does anymore I mean he'll just he'll just say anything and do anything that he wants to and if I was LeBron I'd do the same thing so well, um if you remember Kobe got into this mode uh his last few years too so I believe it was some people call it FU mode uh, in terms of because uh, he doesn't oh, care. Man, that's a way easier acronym than the one I tried. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't think he cares. You know, I think you're right. I think LeBron is going to do whatever he wants and make people mad. So uh, we'll continue to enjoy it. Now, one thing that came across my Twitter timeline, and it's one of Rob's favorite topics. I want to do a topic reset here, Rob. So, so get ready. We had Syracuse. Um, all, right, all types of favorites here. I got to find the find the tweet. It, it was Syracuse QB coach Kirk Martin, who I, who I'm going to do some research on while we're talking. He says, once again, in the unsolicited Twitter advice tweet of the week, says, calling all high school prospects. When a college coach clicks on your Twitter, we would love to see your high school on your header. I could care less about what elite seven-on-seven squad you rep or who your trainer is or stars or all-star games or camp invites. Be where your feet are. Hashtag rep your school. I love that this assumes that the only reason these kids are on social media is for the benefit of a college football coach. (laughs) Let me tell you what to put in your header. I don't care what game you're invited to. Your Twitter exists just to make me happy and make my life easier. That's what that guy is saying. (laughs) well listen to this now we we have a little bit of a before we go in more of the topic let's what do we know about do you guys know about kirk martin nothing right and i know that the school that he coaches at was four and eight last year okay well listen kirk martin 
spent the last 25 seasons coaching high school ball in Texas, most recently starting the program at Manville High School in Houston. Shocked. So, Nick, you, you, uh, he was the coach at Manville last year. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. So, I only knew it because some kid I interviewed in California mentioned it to me, and it just popped into my head. However, from Syracuse.com, uh, <laughs> hold on. We, this is his, he's related through marriage with our boy, uh, Dino Babers. Did you guys know that? I did not know that. Okay. So obviously he's a, uh, Martin, a longtime high school coach is in-laws with SU head coach Dino Babers as Babers daughter, Jasmine married Martin's son, Coda in July. So, mm, I'm sure he's very well qualified. He was in the state championship game in 2011 and 2017 there at Manville. But he goes from being a high school coach straight into working in college and being a quarterback coach at Syracuse. This obviously is frames the reference of his tweet. Okay, so he's an inexperienced he's an inexperienced college coach. Okay, so somebody responds to him. And says, won't happen because kids these days think that they get exposure from their seven-on-seven tournaments. Have you ever watched any seven-on-seven film, coach? He says, nope. Never watched seven-on-seven film, nor will I. Illegal to go to seven-on-seven tournaments. All-star games, we're not interested in trainers' opinion of a kid that's paying them for training. I'm interested in high school coaches' opinion about work ethic, character, toughness, teammate, coachability. Yeah. You know what? That's He's dove in headfirst into the shallow end of the pool. But but the thing is, is uh, you know, in my limited tenure out here in Texas, the past couple of years, I mean, Man- Manville had a, a bunch of really uh, top prospects Um you know the past, the past couple of seasons, I don't recall any of them playing seven on seven uh, for for any of the for any of the big teams around here. So, um, so I do believe that he's not into seven on seven, and I and I'm I'm with him in the sense that like you know we don't go to seven on seven tournaments uh, to to critically evaluate kids so much as it's an opportunity for us to you know talk to them more and see them running around a little bit and you know check their size and all that, and as opposed to you know. Uh, how, how we would watch him versus, you know, in a, in a real game type of atmosphere. So, um, you know, I mean, so there's some things he's not off the mark, but it's nothing that we haven't heard before. Why, but he's really. Why does he care if the kid put his all-star game in the Twitter bio? Yeah, the kid, first of all. He, so the kid's not supposed to be proud that he's an All-American? These coaches want want kids to do the job for them. Tell me what high school you're at so I know where to where to call you. And here, let me give you unsolicited advice on everything you should do online. Uh, to make my job easier because you exist solely to make my job easier and for me not to pay you when you come to my school and help me earn my salary when you work for free. That's, I mean, it's it, to be so tone deaf in 2018 when half the national conversation is about kids getting paid and exploitation to have the balls to be to try to tell these kids on top of playing for free how they should what they should have in their Twitter bio. You really think that you're entitled to control that? That's you know this was going to get me going. <laughs> what? <laughs> just I, I God, football coaches, man. Well, here here's my issue. Okay, so let's we'll do a quick reset. Coaches can't go to seven on sevens. What are seven on sevens? I think a lot of these a lot of these coaches and fans, especially who hate seven on seven, don't even know what they are. Basically, guys are going to want to work out 
and play seven on seven in the summer. We used to do it in high school, right? I mean, we'd do it like, it'd be like, hey, let's go play seven on seven or let's go do whatever because you could keep from getting hurt in theory and you get to practice. So at some point it became an all-star situation where it's, you know, different areas, there are different teams. Make no mistake, kids are offered based on how they do on seven on seven tournaments. It's not, it's not even a question. Uh, how many times have we seen it? Like Rob, we've been at a tournament a kid does really well. You put him in an article. Someone else puts him in an article. Next thing you know, he's got an offer. Now, how did he get the offer? <laughs> Mainly, it's the relationship that the seven-on-seven coaches or whatever trainers have with coaches around the country because they have sent them players before. Once you build up a reputation for having talent, coaches will take you at your word. Now, of course, are they going to take a commitment of a kid? Probably not. They, they might want to see him camp. But a lot of times, you know, the things snowball and next thing you know, a kid will have 20 offers and he'll commit to a school and never camp and they'll have never seen him. It doesn't even matter. (laughs) You know what's even funnier about how they want to see him camp is because when they do see him camp and you and I have been at these these camps, we're at them every year. Guess what they do at those camps? They play seven on seven sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It's wild, right? I've stood there and watched it at Florida State's camp, at Auburn's camp, at every other camp in the country they line these kids up they play seven on seven in front of the college coaches and they get offers so what's the difference if the kids playing seven on they play tiger ball not seven on seven excuse me yeah it's got a different football coach name yeah bama ball no ball i believe it's called right no ball Uh, no ball um so i don't know if it's called no ball or not it's definitely called tiger ball at lsu because that's when they kick us out uh when tiger ball starts Uh, you're allowed to watch no ball at florida state or you were under jimbo anyway um, I'm oh. sure it's called the Aggie ball or whatever is going on. There. <laughs> it's we know, we know Nick was not allowed on, uh, on campus at Texas A&M last year. So we'll see if the rules. No, they will. I mean, Jimbo, if the rules are the same as it was at FSU, Nick, you'll love it, man. It's, it's awesome. It's, you know, he can't be more accommodating. I've always enjoyed him and he, they put on a good camp. It's great access. Uh, you know, you should enjoy it if it's the same as it was at FSU. How would you <laughs> How would you say, uh, Rob, if we were to take a look at Syracuse and we were to go back, uh, uh, we could do it right now while we're talking. Um, Syracuse football. I'm going to read you some of these guys and you could see if you remember uh, their top receivers because I would be, I would, I would highly doubt, or I would highly suggest that they all played seven on seven on major teams, especially the ones from Florida. Mm-hmm. Rhett, uh, uh, quarterback Rex Culpepper. And, uh, <laughs> yes, I do recall Rex Culpepper. Tampa. Yes, as a quarterback for uh, – who did he play for? He, he played play for uh, Team Tampa. Tampa, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Steve Ishmael, wide receiver from – now, this was before your time, Rob. Yeah, However, he is from Miami, Florida. Do we think he played seven-on-seven? Seven? Yes, I promise. I remember him playing seven-on-seven. Seven. I mean, you could just go down the line. They all played seven-on-seven. Seven. It's what they do. So, I mean <sighs> – well, I think it's okay if they play seven on seven, as long as they don't put it in their Twitter bio. That's the deal breaker. Well, like you said, it's a major problem, not just with football coaches, with media people who do our jobs, t- trying to tell kids that their existence is for for your well-being. It'd be like, you know, I don't know. You have different things to do. A kid has different interests than just football. Twitter, his Twitter is not just to get recruited. Now, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. We we say this all the time, you and I. It's so funny the way it's like, if you don't have the right things in your Twitter bio, it's a strike against you. But if you don't have a Twitter at all and you have no bio, it's a point for you. It's, ah, the kid's, you know, he's a hardworking kid, doesn't even have a Twitter. So 
<laughs> he'd rather them have no bio at all and no Twitter than to have a Twitter and then have the seven on seven team. That's right. Yes. Okay. That, so. You know, that makes a lot of logical sense. It's great. <laughs> All right, what a topic! That was that was fun. Now, in terms of a, in terms of a tweet of the week, I don't really have a whole lot. I think we could use Coach Martin as uh, this week's tweet of the week. Um, there were a few a few Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen was on fire this week in terms of his weird war of words with Jim Mora, which I think is uh, kind of interesting. Right? Have you guys been following along with that? I'm sure you have, Rob. I have. He's a millennial, you know. It's downfall. I did enjoy it. Here we go. We'll use this as a tweet of the week. You better hope that mediocre money that you make at Rivals is good enough for you for the rest of your life. Roger Sherman from our friends at theringer.com. In response to – so so Ross Tucker had our quote about Josh Rosen uh, from Jim Mora. Jim Mora says – he needs to be challenged intellectually so he doesn't get bored. He's a millennial. He wants to know why. Millennials, once they know why, they're good. Josh has a lot of interest in life. If you can hold his concentration level and focus only on football for a few years, he will set the world on fire. He has so much ability, and he's a really good kid. So Ross Tucker, who – what does Ross do these days? Former NFL player, now NBCSN, says – Right or wrong, this quote about Josh Rosen from former UCLA coach Jim Mora to Peter King will be a major concern to some NFL people. Okay. <laughs> so it's a, it's a major concern that, that he wants to know why. At, at which point Roger Sermon uh, quotes it and says, you know, he wants to be challenged, he wants to know why. Is like objectively a good thing to say about somebody any place besides the NFL. At, at which point he then creates a fake quote that says, we're looking for real dullards here, guys that if you threw a brick at their face, they'd get mad at the brick. <laughs> what we want is guys without objective permanence. <laughs> Josh Rosen's a great quarterback, but like, what if he sees a fidget spinner or a vape pen? He'll get distracted from football and be able to think about nothing but the fidget spinner because he's a millennial. Yeah. No, no avocado toast for uh, you. Got to don't have avocado toast at the concession stands. He might walk off the field mid game. <laughs> so. <laughs> anyway, Josh right. Rosen stopped watching BoJack Horseman long enough to quarterback the Cincinnati Bengals. Tune in next week to find out. <laughs> all right, moving on. Time for uh, rants and recommendations. Okay, boy, an all-time rant last week. We heard a lot of feedback about Nick, uh, you know, making fun of uh, people who need kidneys. I was sent. I was forwarded <laughs> tweets. I got a I got a DM from somebody the other day, and I was like, "What is this?" And it, it was somebody asking for a kidney, and they sent it to me just because of. Uh, just I had one of, of our bosses text me and say that Nick made you look sane this week by complaining about people that need kidney transplants. <laughs> yeah, congratulations, Nick! Um, it was an all timer. So we have uh, a few topics here. Rob, what do you you have turning on everything? So what is that? <laughs> That could mean a lot of different topics. So I, I, I completely forgot, to be honest. I put it down there in a huff. Uh, I don't even remember what it was. Turning on, turning on everything. Is, <laughs> I could turn that into a rant. Uh, but that sounds like a dad rant about people people leaving the lights on or something. No, I think it had something to do with like – the thought process started when they dug up the Villanova player's old tweets from when he was 14 and turned on him. And it was like, this guy's great. But here, you know, he once tweeted a rap lyric with a bad word in it when he was 14 years old. And now he's actually bad. 
that that yeah that was and that's that's, where, that's where that started and then it got me thinking about how i used to like the dog rates account and now i can't stand that guy and his stupid account and rating dogs um how i've kind of turned on that over time the internet just makes me hate everything <laughs> i i wonder how many people have I, started I recommended that on this show yes. once when it first started and now every time i see it i just see red and i want the guy to just drop off the face of the earth well, you know, you've often mentioned that you turn on people on podcasts that you listen to. How many people do you think have turned on us over the over the two or three years we've been doing this? Uh, everyone, I would assume. I mean, I think it's a natural thing in, in 2018 where you can start off liking something or something and then you just oversaturate yourself with it to the point where you just hate it as much as you once liked it. It's, you know, it's just the, the cycle of life. All right, we are in a hurry to wrap this up. So, recommendation: we made it last week to watch Wild Wild. Wait, 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 wait. Can I can I tell a quick story real oh, quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick story. Somebody asked you for okay, a okay. this week, and you slapped them. <laughs> yeah, right, right in the lower back. So, <laughs> so, so, um, <laughs> so yesterday, uh, my brother and I went to uh, the grocery store. And the one, the one by, by my house that we always go to, always busy, always crowded. We're going there at 6 p.m. right before people are trying to get dinner. My brother's like not happy, anticipating just the huge crowd of people that's going to be there that we're going to have to fight through. And lo and behold, we get there and it's really like, you know, there's not a lot of people there. We go through, we get all the stuff that we need for dinner. We, um, but we're leaving, we're exiting the parking lot. Alex drove. So, so he pulls, he pulls out. <clears throat> of the parking spot gets to that like 45 degree angle that you're at right before you throw it in drive and take off you know Mm -hmm. meanwhile meanwhile there's a woman coming towards the car and you know most people like i mean if she stopped and let us go like it would have been it would have taken like three seconds out of her day but instead she decides that she's the more important one out of the three of us and continues to walk towards the car keeping us in a holding pattern to to like not to not leave the parking lot. Meanwhile, she's walking past the BMW, who's who's somebody who the guy that owned it popped the trunk at the same time she was walking past, and it's one of those trunks that comes up all the way, and it hits her in the elbow and jostles her phone, <laughs> which is which is sort of like instant instant karma, right? But then uh, she continues to walk, doesn't break stride because she didn't drop her phone, in, in a rare move by a female. And then, and then, meanwhile, the guy that opens uh, the trunk comes from our left side, the driver's side of the car, walks in front of our car to get to his trunk, like around the long side of the car. So we're held up by two different pedestrians. And this guy, I mean, we're talking just inches away from the car. I go to honk at him because, you know, I was livid at this point. Alex blocks my hand. We leave. I was, I was in a huff about that. We're leaving out the back way of the parking lot. <clears throat> And uh, lo and behold, the only thing keeping us from exiting the parking lot is somebody idling down the back road, the only way out, right down the middle of the way to where nobody, if somebody was coming towards him, wouldn't be able to get around him. If we tried, if we were coming behind him, we couldn't get around him. He was dead center in the middle of the parking lot. So, of course, I laid on the horn on him. I busted through Alex's (laughs) blocking hands because at that point I had just lost all patience with humanity. And uh, and then we came home and had a real nice dinner. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm surprised Alex didn't get out of the car and throw get throw that lady's groceries down on the ground or whatever. <laughs> Alex, Alex actually had I actually he came over here the other night too and gave me a guest rant that I recorded 
that I was thinking about putting on this podcast, but I might hold until next week. It's, it's sort of evergreen. Yeah, let's save it so I can hear it. I want to be able to listen to it. Um, okay. So I can get it. So, well, let's, Nick, if there's one thing that makes Nick mad, it's it's being stuck in the car, especially, you know, you'd pull up to old Chick-fil-A and it's it's five cars deep and our, our old friend and uh, former roommate Jared wants to wait in line. Nick's losing his mind. Always park and go inside. That's the recommendation of the week uh, if you want to keep Nick happy. So, uh, all right. Now, we told everyone last week to watch Wild Wild Country. I We had to delay today's show because I had to finish the last episode. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, I don't know. You probably don't want to listen to this because it's going to be filled with spoilers. It's a show on Netflix about uh, a religious group, a cult, whatever you want to call it, uh, in Oregon in the 1980s. And boy, things just went haywire. So, so Nick, you had plenty of thoughts. Rob, I know you had a lot of thoughts. Nick, why don't you start us off with uh, with your rundown? Who was your MVP? I personally, you know, I, I would be Sheila would be my hero all the way, really filling the role of heel wrestler the entire time. Did you guys, did you feel that way, Nick? Well, I, you know, I think the most sympathetic figure and the, and the most likable character in the whole thing was the, the lawyer turned mayor at the end of the whole, uh, the end of the whole process. And then, and the guy that was doing the legal representation for, for the Bagua, um, <laughs> at the end of the story. Isn't that a blast to say? <laughs> so I mean, how much fun is it to say Bagua? <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 he was my favorite guy because he was like the most wholesome and genuine about the whole thing. I, I mean, he's pretty crazy, right? Nah, I think he kind of had like a lawyer, level right? of like, yeah, the lawyer. Yeah, I mean, he was like, cr- he's still like hardcore into. Uh, well, because oh, but the yeah, he was hardcore into it. But but the thing, but he like he like wholesomely was into the principles of the. Uh, the commune when it started like that like it was nothing it was about nothing else for him you know what I mean and and he wasn't you know I, who knows what he was doing during his time there but I got a pretty um, good idea you know, he- <laughs> <laughs> so so both of you I think were feeling pretty sympathetic towards the uh uh what do they call them <laughs> I'm trying to think Ra- of what the name Ra- Rajish Rajish Rajneesis. Raj- yeah um a couple things. So, but go ahead. Okay, go ahead, Ralph. How did I not know this happened? Like, I, as I was <laughs> watching this, I'm like, how, how, how is this not in history books? Like, I, I, at first, I thought maybe it was like an American Vandal situation because it was like, if this really happened, I would know about this. So I googled it. It seems absurd to me that this all unfolded, and I never knew anything about it until I started this this document. Well. So last week, I was here in Atlanta with our boy, Eric Bossy, covering the McDonald's All-American game. And I told him, I said, we were talking about shows to watch. And I said, oh, me, Rob, and Nick are watching this show called Wild Wild Country. It's about some weird cult in Oregon. And he goes, oh, is it about Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, man, I remember that. It was all over the news. Maybe but we're all just Bossy's a little got- too young. Is it possible? Because Bossy's right. a few years older than us, but not very much older than us, right? Yeah, he's about seven. I was bo- seven. Or I years. was born in '85, so this like ended right when I was born. Well, basically, I, I don't know how my dad didn't tell me more about this because I, you know, I was alive in Oregon at this time. I was born in 1982, and you know, my dad was und- obviously my middle name is Mohandas. We had all types of weird pictures on the wall of weird Indian people, so I'm surprised 
uh, he never brought it up with me, especially because we used to go out there in that area for work all the time. So this the, the documentary was really a murderer's row of Oregon heroes, including Bill Bowerman and his son. How about that? Did, did, did that slip by you guys that that guy is like a billionaire, right? Yeah. No, right? they they did a no, good no. Job. But I'm saying like he chooses to live out there, and he was he was a huge part of this antelope community. When that guy's probably got five hundred million dollars in the bank, right? The son. Yeah, and not not He's to mention the dad, you know, the, the the Nike founder, the co-founder is picking a fight with the Bogwan. <laughs> it had everybody. It had Dave Fronmeyer. Oh man, a, a real Oregon hero. It's sad that he died right when they were filming this because he was a central character, especially in bringing him down. I think you know, and I said this to some other people who who I've been talking to about it. I think this could have worked, but once things started going haywire, it was really like the Hatfields and the McCoys. It was like an escalating feud to the point where, you know, they ended up going down for obviously, you know, we're poisoning people and, and all that stuff. I mean, it was it was really insane. I, of course, me, I tended to side with the, the poor old people in Oregon, especially when they took over the town and started, like, took the cafe and well, turned it okay. into, like... To be you know, fair, they didn't take anything. They legally purchased land. Right. That's fine. That's not... They didn't do anything wrong. They, 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 they offered U.S. currency to somebody who accepted it. So it's not like it was a hostile takeover. Let's, let's not mischaracterize Right. It. But... If don't you think if they would have gone just a little slower in the beginning and got the proper permits and stuff to build all that stuff that they could have actually made this happen? I don't I know. Feel like I feel like there was some xenophobia at work there. No matter what they did, those people in Oregon were not going to like the crazy cult people. You know, even if they did it all by the book and got the permits and built everything, they were going to find a reason why the different crazy people should not belong in their community. It didn't matter, you know. And I don't want right. to draw parallels to you know the current country. But I think there are a lot of them there. Well, no, I agree with that. But don't – I mean it turned out to be right considering once they started poisoning people and plotting to murder well, people, they right? Into, well, they backed so them into a corner. They would have just left them alone to you know have their free love or whatever. That cult sounded pretty rad first of all. Secondly, well, that, if they would have left them alone, that's how they would have been fine. Well, that's that's how I felt about it too at first. But – but here's the here's there's I I think there was a bunch of different things that all happened sort of in a short period of time, based on what I could tell from the movie that 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 really seemed, um, that that played off each other to create a highly combustible situation. First of all, the fact the 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 hotel bombing in Portland. I'm not I'm I'm convinced that Sheila organized that. It was an inside job because none of her people were hurt. Right. Yeah. And that instigated. Died. Yeah. And I and I and I'm interested in in knowing the balance between the Bagua and Sheila, which one was actually the most militant one. Because once we started going down the avenue where Sheila was the one calling all the shots, pulling all the strings, making all the moves, Bagua was not part of the show for like three episodes. <laughs> yeah. And and so I don't and so I don't know I don't really get a feel as to as to how or not, you know, how how heavily involved he was in the philosophy of what they were and ultimately ended up doing. However, I'm also not convinced I'm also not convinced that some of the tactics that the government used to bring them down were some of the things that were actually going on on the level that they were investigating them for especially the immigration operation uh they made that seem like it was a pretty a pretty involved situation but then you go back and you look at some of these like city and county votes it couldn't have been on the level that they were that they were representing because the math didn't end up that first city vote 
There was a 95 total people voting. Yeah, it was a- not hundreds of immigrants that got shipped in through legal marriage as they were, you know, characterizing. So, you know, and, and for them to go through and bring in all the street people, as yeah, they call them, so I mean, that, you know, you want to talk about where they really jumped the shark. <laughs> how could you not know how that was going to end when you start importing a bunch of homeless people? I mean, boy, I mean, it's desperate times, I guess, but that's kind of where everything went south for me. Did, I'd, I'd be interested to hear more about the teachings of the Bhagwan. We didn't really get into that. As far as yeah, I know, no. the cult is just based on, you know, everybody all the time. But I'm, okay, sure there was, well. I'm sure there was some, like, you know, deeper teaching. I'd like to know what kind of the basis of the cult was. Yeah, I, I think you can you can look into that for sure. I th- I, I really... <laughs> It was really the teaching was live the teaching was live your best life. Which in that case, sign me up, dude. I'll I'll just as long as there's no Twitter, I'll go move to Oregon and live with the Bhagwan. Well, I found it interesting that the the facility's still in use. Did you see for the Christian youth camp? I mean, there was a water slide and everything. Still looks pretty cool to me. Yeah, maybe a pilgrimage um, for us. You know, maybe we'll do a live show from the uh from the old commune. Well, it's not that far from Cottage Grove, so uh, you know it is drivable for sure. So maybe when uh, next next time I'm out there, we could go to Antelope. I was, if that cafe was still open, I would definitely go there and eat at that cafe. But uh, you know, sadly, I was you know that it, it, that town looks like it is uh, definitely near death. But uh, great show, right? I mean, you guys didn't know what I was getting you into. I did it based on a podcast. We loved it, right? Everybody loved it. I thought it was a Homer pick when you were on here and you told me, oh, it's a show about this thing in Oregon. As soon as I hear the word this thing in Oregon, I assume it's a Womack Homer selection. But no, it was awesome. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, Nick, you yeah. Nick, you sped through it. I think you you watched it all before the weekend was out, right? Yeah, yeah. Two thumbs way, way up. Yeah, so I would highly recommend watching it. I'd, I'd imagine we're going to get some spinoff content, right? We're going to get some podcasts and – and whatnot, deep dive articles or what? I, is there a, so. is there, I, I, I assumed you would identify with the Bogwan people because of just the level of trolling. I figured as soon as <laughs> Sheila, that's why I was I like, man, this Sheila. is like cold movie. <laughs> well, once Nick, Nick said, when she told them, you know, tough titties, that was a good one because my dad used to say that all the time. Then even when she was in jail and they were like, so Sheila, what would you have to say to the people of Oregon? And she was basically like, people of Oregon can suck it. <laughs> you know? And she's in jail. She's in federal <laughs> prison. And she still didn't care. She was still throwing shots. So uh, I really enjoyed that. That was the problem, though. Her attitude and her stubbornness was her downfall. And, you know, some people say that about me, obviously. <laughs> but uh that was what led to them getting getting ahead of themselves, I think, too much, and ended up making some hasty decisions, which ended up uh, being some crimes. Nick, right? on a scale of one to ten, if you'd never met her, and we watched this documentary, and the, the big twist on the podcast was what he was like. Uh, yeah, she was my mom, guys. Would you have believed him? <laughs> well, that's that's hard for me to answer, having as much personal experience with Woody. That's what I said. If you didn't a- know her, I mean, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Checks out. Yeah, I got news uh, for you. Sheila's a lot smarter than uh, my mom. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> it's a break. It I should ask my mom. I, maybe I should record a segment where I ask my mom what she remembers about Bhagwan having lived in Oregon at the time. That would be a good podcast. Um, so I, I, really, I really enjoyed the show. I think these guys – evidently these guys made a baseball documentary too, Rob. So uh, – 
I, I don't know. You might want. I love the way the get in on walks that. with his hands folded in front of his mouth like that and shaking them. The way he's always walking, I miss yeah. walking like that. Well, I think Zach's our friend Zach Soskin used to do that quite a bit. Remember in pictures? Yeah, that was a pose though. That wasn't like oh. his default stroll. <laughs> I wonder if he's a Rajneeshi. <laughs> I should ask him. <laughs> he is from Oregon, correct? Yes, he yeah, lives he, in Oregon now. Yeah, he's at least dis- confirmed descendant of Rajneeshis. Who who is the guy that you said died? Was it the guy in the cowboy hat or the guy in the overalls? Uh, oh no, I said Dave Fronmeyer died. He was the which one was he? he? Was the attorney that uh, he he didn't he was already dead when they were filming the show. He just died. Uh, Wait, the one that I said that I like? No, the one he didn't do any talking to the he didn't do any talking to the cameras because he was dead. No. But he's he's featured in like the historical footage the whole time. He was the he was the one who really brought him down. I think he was like the, the attorney general or something like that. Uh, he was driving. Because I also like the guy in the overall. Now you love him. Yeah, you said he was a. Yeah, he, he had, had a quite a smirk too. You want to talk about a grin? That dude. I mean, everything he said, it was like I don't know. I just love the way his express facial expressions were. Yeah. In terms of classic yeah. Oregon characters, you had him. You had uh, Bowerman's son. And then you had the couple sitting on the couch. That couple sitting on the couch, I could I could introduce you to ten different couples like that that I grew up with uh, in Oregon, where you've got the where you've got the kind of quiet, uh, to, you know, mysterious uh, cowboy husband, and then the wife who likes to talk a lot. Um, you know, there, there, a lot of people like that that <laughs> that I encountered uh, growing up. So I, I don't know. I loved it. I, I really wanted to burn through it. We had uh, all types of IKEA drama going on over the last few days, which which led me to not finish it as quickly as you guys. But highly recommend if you're still listening to us talk about this and you didn't watch it. I don't know what's wrong with you, but our girl Sheila is like I said, she was a real she was a real hero. I think in terms of how much of a lunatic she was, and like I said, don't you guys think she she could have been a, a wrestler or what? Oh, absolutely. At least like a manager, yeah, definitely could have been a valet. She's probably a little bit too old right. to take the bumps that you need to take the bumps. But yeah, she could have managed anyone. Great show. Much better than this podcast, that's for sure. And uh, boy, I don't know. You know, I told I, I promised we were launching the other podcast next week. I did little did I know Nick Lucero would go on vacation and uh, not make the graphics for me that I need. Boy, and Nick's 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 prediction about the podcast not getting off. Well, the guess what? I was just about to say we might have to do it on here. We might just have to have Friedman on where we all talk about uh, the documentary. Take that for data. Rob, when do, you, when do you get back from uh, New Orleans? I will be back from Mania on Tuesday, but I will probably be in no condition to do any kind of work that day. So I may not be on the podcast next week. Okay, Nick. So guess what? I'll be sending you my HBO Go password, Mr. Cordcutter. And uh, maybe we can do it that way. So that wraps it up for us. We got no new iTunes reviews, at least uh, written reviews. We're sitting at 74, a mere 26 away from 100. So please leave us a review. Uh, there have been some really good ones coming in over the last month. We want to keep that momentum going. And I think that's it. Uh, nothing going on with M. Deuce. He seems to be having a great time with his family out in Oregon. We should ask him, uh, M. Deuce, did you watch the show, Wild Wild Country? Do you remember? You want to talk about Mark's Mark's parents, uh, definitely closer to Rajneeshi than, uh, than my parents in terms of their free love uh, lifestyle, including his stepdad, Alton, who... Uh, who was from Jamaica. So big, 
<laughs> big shout to Alton and uh, Mark's mom and Mark himself. That wraps it up. We'll be back with another episode, hopefully talking about the Joe Paterno uh, movie on HBO next week. Bye.